Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. We're doing a one-day study on the book of Jonah, so I take it to your attention as we consider this great book. According to the best estimates, between the years 1525 and 1866, 12.5 million Africans were shipped to the New World with only 10.5 million surviving the deadly passage. By 1860, the United States slave population was over 3.9 million men, women, and children. The Armenian genocide was a systematic extermination of 1.5 million Armenians in Turkey in the turn of the 19th or 20th century, as well as the Holocaust that claimed over 6 million Jews and many more lives. And since 1973 in the United States, over 60 million children have been aborted in the U.S. Let me ask you, if you were part of that family, part of that ethnic group, if your family, your ancestors had lived through that, died through that, suffered through those things, could you forgive these atrocities against you and your family? Could you forgive and forget and go along with those that treated your ancestors so shabbily and terribly? Would you be able to look at them and consider them the same way as they consider themselves? What if it was the cold-blooded murder of a loved one? Could you forgive someone who murdered your only son? One investment baker, Azim Kazmizma, was only 46 years old and he was leading a pretty ordinary life. He had a good career, two children, and he enjoyed the sunny climate living in beautiful La Jolla, California. But that all changed one night in 1995 when his son Tariq, who was only 20, was delivering pizzas for a job when a 14-year-old came up and shot him and killed him. He was just looking for trouble, this 14-year-old, this other man, young man, just trying to do his job. In fact, he fell in such an intense and agonizing despair of the father, Kamiza, that at one point he was suicidal. In fact, he found himself, after much soul-searching, doing something, though, that most people would consider impossible. He reached out to the family of the young shooter who was tried and convicted as an adult. And instead of coming to blame him, to accuse him, he offered forgiveness and compassion to the family that was grieving on the other side. He said, quote, I talked to the boy's grandfather, who was his guardian, and I said, we both lost our sons. My son to murder and your son to prison. 
Since then, he has decided to set up a foundation in his son's name. He went on to dedicate his life's work to fostering forgiveness. He has spoken before millions of people, both internationally and domestically, uh, in public and corporate workplaces, in videos and audio recordings. He's also published four books exploring the ways in which this heart-wrenching tragedy transformed him and led to his work in forgiveness. Could you do that? How would you respond? But let me also say, I pray that neither one of us, any, any of us, never have to experience such a thing. But in our message today in the book of Jonah, we're introduced to a prophet of God that is faced with a similar daunting situation. Forgiving a, uh, not a person, but a nation that had prevented, that had put atrocities on his people. As we look in the book of Jonah, hopefully you found it. it's in the Old Testament. It's sandwiched between Obadiah and Micah. Jonah is part of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. They are not considered minor because of their influence or the weight of their words, but due to the length of their writings. Now, Jonah is unique among all the books of the Bible, including the minor prophets, in that it does not record his exact prophecies. Other, other uh, books of the prophets, the minor prophets, are about their prophecies against this nation, that nation, so on and so forth. But Jonah is really the story about Jonah himself and only a snapshot of his life. It doesn't really record what his prophecy is or what his words are other than just kind of a summary of them. He is recorded only one other time in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings where he prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam II who was a very wicked king of Israel. But he is a real historical figure in that Jesus himself alluded to Jonah several times in the New Testament. Now Jonah takes place in the 8th century BC, so 800 years before Christ. And it has several settings. There's Joppa, which is a city in Israel. It's on a ship at sail, or it's a ship at sea sailing towards Spain. And then it takes place in the belly of the fish. And then in Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And that is located near modern day Mosul in Iraq. That's 40 miles from east of Syria. We hear those terms now. That's where Nineveh is. It was a city of great size and influence and splendor. It was also considered the most ruthless empire at the time. To bring terror to other nations, they would build mounds of human skulls of those they have conquered. One of their sports, and excuse me children, I know they're children, so I'm going to do my best to keep it good, was skinning their captives. They would have a game where they would tie them down and begin skinning them. And the one who, and, and the soldier was disqualified if the person that they were skinning, if they died before they was done, they were disqualified. It was a very ruthless nation. This terror caused many nations to pay tribute to them and rather than face them in battle. The Old Testament tells us that Israel themselves paid tribute to the king of Assyria for protection and safety. So as you're thinking of Jonah, this is a nation that is very feared, that is hated. These are people who had, uh, who had performed great atrocities towards other nations. It was a very wicked city. They worshipped many different gods. Scripture informs us that God is revolted by sin, that sin provokes his anger, and that Nineveh was ripe for 
uh, judgment. History records that the time, at the time of Jonah, Nineveh itself had gone through two plagues and several famines and a total eclipse, which most likely helped to prepare their hearts for Jonah's message. The characters include Jonah, the prophet who rebels against God, the pagan sailors who wind up repenting and worshiping God, the powerful king of Assyria who humbles himself as well as his nations and thrown in for good measure. Even cows are mentioned at the end of the scripture. I want to give you Jonah in a nutshell. And if you're looking at it, we're going to go through it really quickly. There's some notes here on the monitor. But what we see is when we go to Jonah chapter 1 through 2, that Jonah is called to Nineveh. In verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now you can imagine Jonah here. He's excited. Finally, God's judgment is coming against a nation that is so terrible, that is just destroying Israel. It's destroyed uh, Samaria. It is just a nation that needs to have itself just eliminated. But Jonah's response is to run from God. As we go to the third verse of Jonah 1, we see instead of going to Nineveh, he rose to flee to Tarshish, which is in Spain, far from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and there he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down to it to go with them to, part to Tarshish to do something that none of us can do, as Scripture knows, is to run away from the presence of the Lord. But we know how futile that is. In verse 4, we see that God sends a storm. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a great mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. And we know most of the story here, I think most of us, but we see that the men start trying to bail out the boat. They're doing all they can to keep that ship afloat. However, it comes to no avail find themselves being afraid and seeing Jonah sleep. They wonder what's going on and they wake him. And Jonah says, this is my fault. Throw me overboard. They're reluctant to do so, but the men eventually reluctantly throw Jonah overboard. And in verse 17, we see that God providentially sends a great fish. Where you see that in verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And as we go in verse or chapter 2, you see that Jonah repents and he praises God for his compassion to Jonah. Then Jonah then is vomited out from the fish onto the land. And the next thing we see in chapter 3 is Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches. He does exactly what God has called him to do. And what we see in Jonah chapter 3 verses 5 through 9 is that the city responds positively to the word of God and repents. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3 verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He's humbling himself. In verse 7, he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, this was his proclamation. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. 
Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. For who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And as we look at the rest of Jonah chapter 3.10 and verse 1 of chapter 4, which we'll go to in a moment, God relents from destroying the city of Nineveh. But the response is what throws us for a loop. For as we go into Jonah chapter 4, we see that Jonah becomes angry with God and complains. This theme, as you look at here, is though many times Jonah is preached and taught that no one can run from God, no one can hide from God. The Bible Project writes, and I agree with their statement here, that Jonah truly, really is, is a subversive story of a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. See, this story is not really about a man who runs from God and God finds him and God restores him, though that's all part and parcel of it. The story is really about a man who is angry that God saves Jonah's enemies. See, he'd rather see them destroyed. He wants to see them get what's coming to them. In the book of Jonah, we see God's calling, his sovereignty, his providence. We see his discipline. We see his forgiveness. We see his restoration of people. But we also see his compassion and grace. You see, in Jonah, it's not about the big fish and whether it was a whale or not. It's not about why did he try to run from God and what was he thinking Really what we see in, in, in Jonah is God's grace and compassion in full display. And that's what I want to share this morning. You see, the Lord is a God with boundless compassion for sinners. Let me say it again. I want you to get that. That the Lord is a God with boundless compassion for sinners. Whether it was Jonah who fled from God, whether it was the sailors who were pagans, the king and the citizens of Nineveh who were very evil and wicked. Yahweh himself had told Moses in Exodus chapter 34 that the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. Remember when we looked at this in our study in Exodus last year? He's slow to anger, but he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. The prophet Joel would proclaim, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disasters. Yes, he's speaking this to the covenant people of Israel, but yet at the time Israel were at odds with God. They had rebelled against him. They were enemies, so to speak, of God. And this is in stark contrast with Jonah. Compare God's compassion with Nineveh to Jonah's compassion to Nineveh. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, speaking of the king and Nineveh, he turned from their, from, and that they turned from their evil way, 
God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. They said, well, let us do this. Let us not eat. Let us not drink. Let nothing, even our cattle and our livestock, let us put on sackcloth. Let us humble ourselves and let's see for God may preadventure, may forgive us. And yet we see here God does that. He relents and he doesn't do it. But look at Jonah chapter four, verse one. How did Jonah respond? What was his mind when that happened? Look at it. But it what? Displeased Jonah how? Exceedingly. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And how did he respond? And he was angry. Compare Jonah's compassion with God's who has much more. Obviously God does. However, in Jonah chapter 2, we had read, uh, we read about his confession, about his repentance. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. When Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, where else is he to go? He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. And think of this. This is very much like the words of the Nineveh king. I cried out of the belly of Sheol, which is the grave. I cried and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. In verse 4, he said, Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in to take me to life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He realizes that death is imminent for him, but yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. What do we see? We see God's compassion on a man who rebellion against God. But look at verse 7, he goes on. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who repay regard to vain idols, or those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope for steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to who? The Lord, let's remember that. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out of the dry land. J Jonah in his rebellion and disobedience wants to receive the compassion and grace of God in this prayer, but he doesn't want others to experience. My question today is, are you a modern day Jonah? Do you have the same heart attitude, the same, the same thought process as Jonah? Are you a modern day Jonah? Now, before you dismiss that question with a quick no, let me explain what I mean by that question. You see, our Lord Jesus gave his disciples a mission before he left for heaven. That mission has been passed down through the years to new generations' disciples, those who have counted the cost and abandoned all to follow Christ. This mission is found in Matthew 28. You'll see it here on the monitor. 
where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is our commission. We have been called and sent as Jonah has so many years ago. But let me, here's the question. How is your compassion for sinners? Do you have a heart like God? And then let me ask you this, because you may say yes to both. But here's the tough question. Are you willing to share the gospel with a world, with a neighbor, with a co-worker, to a family member who's hostile to your faith? To one who ridicules you, to one who would slam the door in your face, to one who has harmed you and persecuted. You and I have to understand that God has called us not to share the gospel with those who think like us and just to those who love us and are willing to give us a a listen. But God wants us to share the world even with our enemies, even with those that we might dismiss as beyond us or below us. We are to share the gospel with all, no matter who they are or what they've done. I want to ask, ask and answer the question, because I believe that we have a lot of modern day Jonas today. I believe that I many times can be a modern day Jonah. And so I want to ask the question, why do we not evangelize? Why do we not share the gospel? Why do we run to, uh, uh, to, to, to Spain or terrorize ter- ter- ourselves many times? Because many times we do not want to evangelize. So I'm going to go to three things. Why do we not evangelize? One, and these are going to be tough ones, because we don't fear God. The reason why many of us don't share the gospel is because we do not fear God. Look at Jonah chapter 1. Look at verse 9. And Jonah had said to the sailors, when they said, who are you? Why are you sleeping? He said, I said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, though Jonah tells them that he fears the Lord, I'm here to tell you that to me, his actions seem contrary to that declaration. Does he truly fear the Lord? Now, compare that with the response of the sailors in Jonah chapter 1, verse 16, who at first are described as men who each cried out to his own God when the storm started, when their lives were threatened. In verse 16 of chapter 1, it says, Then the the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see, their hard attitude drove them to action. We spoke about this in our missions in in Sunday school, where Charles Spurgeon said, Do you love love God? And I I questioned when I said that that, uh, we do not fear God, or would you use that word uh, that we hate? But what does it mean when when God says you will know me by your love? If you love me, do my commandments. So what do we say to someone who does not obey the words of God? Does not obey the commands? Is it not safe to say that then they must hate God? 
Maybe not deep in their heart, but yet you're saying the same thing. Their hard attitude drove them to action. The psalmist writes in Psalm 53 that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And this speaks of one who directs their lives as one who will not give an account to God. We spoke of this in 2 Peter and the false teachers. They were saying there was no God. There will be no day of reckoning. However, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 5, saying, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We'll persuade them of what? The fact that there is a God. And why? Well, in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 5, he says, that all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what they have done in the body, whether it's good or evil. Paul says, we know that there's a day where all will stand before God. And knowing this fear, we persuade others with all that within us. Come to Christ. So once I say, do you fear God? For one thing that causes us to evangelize, to share the gospel, is knowing that they will stand before God. And not only that, we will stand before God and give account of why, or we, why we did or did not evangelize. What will we say before the Almighty King? Before Christ ascended into heaven, he gave us a commission to make disciples, to share the gospel. Instead of fear of dis disobeying God, we, you and I, have a greater fear of man. We fear ridicule, being ostracized, dismissed, or other some type of negative response. Let me ask you, do you truly fear God? If so, are you actively sharing the gospel? For that's what he called us to. The second reason we do not evangelize is that we do not treasure God. In Jonah 2, look at this, verse 4. While in the belly of the great fish, Jonah says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look on your holy temple. What is he desires Jerusalem. He desires the things of God. He desires restoration. In verse 9 of the same chapter, he says with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, for salvation belongs to the Lord. While in the belly of the fish, coming to the end of what he thinks in his life, he finally, then he treasures God. But this should have been his attitude at the, be uh, at the beginning. The psalmist writes in Psalms 96, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the, to, to the Lord all the earth. Why? So that others may see him and be glorified. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. Ascribe to the Lord all families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. So when God called him to Nineveh, he was ascribed to God all the glory. Now he did that to the sailors, but he would not do that to those that he himself despised. As a prophet of God, he should embrace the calling of God to call Nineveh to repentance. However, his own pride and desire for revenge overcame his calling. Now, before you and I are too harsh on Jonah, you and I should consider our own hearts. For many professing Christians have shown they too do not treasure God. In Matthew chapter 13, it's here on the monitor. 
Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. Look what he says. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, to reiterate the point, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Why? Because they saw a treasure worth having. This great treasure, this pearl of great price, is something that you and I ought to share with others, not keep to ourselves. Think of a movie that you've enjoyed, a book that you love to read. Maybe there's a, a baby shower, a new baby, or a wedding, or some other type of event that you've enjoyed, you've experienced. And what do you do afterwards? Do you keep it to yourself? Do you hoard the joy? No, with joy you share with others. I can't believe, this is wonderful. You have to check it out. Do we truly treasure God? Unfortunately, it seems like too many believers are actually ashamed of Christ and their faith. Our opening verse in Romans chapter 116 sums it up. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. But Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 10, everyone who acknowledges me, acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before the Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And you say, well, I would never deny Christ, but yet do you not do it in your actions and in your thoughts? When we choose not to share the gospel with our loved ones, with our neighbors, are we not hoarding and hiding our treasure? Do you truly treasure God and his wonderful gifts of salvation? If so, are you hoarding that treasure or are you sharing with it? The third reason why you and I do not evangelize, this is a tough one. You're going to rebel against this was because you do not love others. You do not love others. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. He said, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he would do to them, and he did not do it. But then look at chapter 4 again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord, and he said, now we're going to get to the heart of the matter. Why did Jonah run? It wasn't because he was fearful. It wasn't because he was afraid. But right here. He said, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? When you first gave me the call, did I not say this? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Why? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We now read the real reason that Jonah tried to run in the opposite direction. He did not want God to forgive Nineveh. He did not want them to experience his compassion and his grace and his salvation. Jonah wanted God to overthrow and destroy Nineveh, but instead God forgave and transformed them. Is that what you want? 
for that person that you work with that gives you a hard time? Is that for the person, your boss, your neighbor? Is that what you want for those in Islam countries and terrorists? For those who murder those that are in prison? Do you want that for the thugs that are out at night making your life miserable? Do you want that for the Republicans and the Democrats? We spend our time being critical and judgmental. As much as we may complain about a president or about a senator or about a house of representative, how often do we pray for their salvation or for them to get what's due to them in our mind and heart? John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to go through some things real quickly. You may mark this down for later. In John chapter 4, verse 7, the apostle John taught that the love of God towards us should lead us to love others. Whoever loves has been born of God. Let us love one another, for love is from God. Loving is part of the great commandment where God says to love God, but then to also love your neighbors. Loving our neighbors means includes sharing the gospel. If you were to turn to Luke chapter 16, don't do that, mark it down. You would see the story of a rich man and Lazarus. A rich man who would ignore Lazarus who was a poor man with leprosy. He would sit at the rich man's gate begging for money while dogs would come and lick his sores. But they died in one night and Jesus tells the story that the rich man went to what's called Hades. And the, and the Lazarus, the poor man, went to Abraham's bosom, which we might think of as heaven. And then there he says, can I come and can you just dip his finger in water and touch the tip of my tongue? And God says, no, there is, there is no way to bridge that chasm. And then, La then the rich man in his pain and his agony says, God, send someone to my brothers so that they may not go to this place of agony. That's for his brothers. Do you do that for your brothers and sisters? For those you love? Do you do it for those that you do not love? That you don't care about? If we're honest, there are people like that in our lives. People we work with. I had a video, and I'm not going to show that time. It's just too short for us. You might have sent it by, it's by a man named Penn Gillette. He's a famous musician. He's also an atheist, well, spoken atheist. And he had this to say. He has written, I believe that there is no God. But he goes on to speak about proselytizing. And people come to him all the time and try to give him Bibles. People come and try to share the gospel. And interestingly, he usually engages and talks with them in a kind way. But yet he's very forceful. There is no God. And he tells the story about those who say, I wish people would start Stop giving me Bibles. I wish there were people who would stop sharing with me the gospel. But this is what he said. How much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? Now this is an atheist. This is not someone who believes in God. 
But he knows this about someone who proselytizes. How much do you have to hate someone not to share your faith? How much do you have to hate someone to believe in everlasting life is possible and not tell them? This is an atheist. YouTube it. It's on there. Powerful. That's why I say one reason we do not evangelize is because you and I truly don't love people. They can go to hell. I'm sorry about it. But it's not enough to compel me to do anything about it. Jonah hated the Assyrians plenty. God tried to teach him a lesson, but Jonah huffed that he was more concerned with his own comfort and selfish pride than people. He would rather die than see God show compassion and grace on his enemies. But what did Jesus tell us, the disciples, and to us in Matthew 5? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That you may be what? Sons of your fathers. The sons of the father share the gospel. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. Let me ask you, are you okay with God loving your enemies, but you not? Jonah wasn't. And that brings us full circle. Aren't you glad that God loves his enemies? Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For say, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, if God does not show compassion and great uh, grace on the, on the people of Nineveh, then you and I do not deserve grace and compassion from God either. Our wickedness and our evil in our actions indeed may not measure up to the evil and wickedness of Nineveh. But yet in our hearts, we have rebelled against God as well. Are you a modern day Jonah? Would you rather God just destroy your enemies? Or do you want God to be compassionate and show his grace as he did for you? I pray that that's your heart's desire. I pray here as you leave that you would just desire to serve God by sharing your faith with others. Now to do that, you and I are going to have to do some praying. We're going to have to do some soul searching. Who, what, what is preventing me from doing that? What is it about that person that keeps me from sharing the gospel? And you know who I'm thinking of as soon as I said, there's a picture of someone. You, you, there's something about it, fear of ridicule, fear of something else. But what's truly preventing you is a, you don't love God. You don't fear him. You're not treasuring him. You're not loving others as you should. And you need to pray, God, change my heart. Do not let me be like a Jonah. Let me be willing. Lord, uh, uh, choose them, call them. That's what you and I are called to do as ambassadors for Christ. Let me end with some practical advice, a model for evangelism. For some will say, you know, it's all those things. I treasure God, I fear God, and, and, you know, and I love others, but I still struggle. Well, let me give you a plan that's simple and the steps that you and I can do even today. I'm just going to give them to you here. Number one, seek to build relationships. 
Evangelism can happen in major events. It, it can happen, in, but it also happens in ordinary people in their ordinary flow, flow of life. The Bible tells us that we're the aroma of Christ and we're also the fragrance of God and that we are to be that aroma to people sharing the gospel. One of the spiritual disciplines that you and I can do and that we're encouraged to do is to develop that of hospitality. Using our resources, our time, money, and energy to build relationships and disciple one another. And I would encourage each and every one of you to make a commitment to do so. There's one in my heart right now in my mind that I've been praying for that I'm seeking to build a relationship. We have an acquaintance, but I'm seeking to build a relationship. Why? So that I can show them my heart, show them my love. The second thing is to share the gospel. Now, it's been said once before, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Let me tell you, that's a misquote, by the way, and it's bad advice. Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So there is an essence of truth in there. But in the end, you and I must share the gospel itself. And by that, I mean the good news, the bad news, and the better news of the gospel. God created us that we may enjoy him, but yet rebelled against him. But then he sent Christ. That's the good news, bad news, better news of the gospel. The Bible has told us that the message is simple, that through Christ, God is reconciling the world back to himself, bringing it into, into balance. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you, here's the message, simple message of the gospel. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And to do that, we put some tracks in the back book cabinet back there and on there there's one here that's just called what is the gospel on the back is the church information our phone number our address and website I'd encourage you sharing the gospel maybe just taking one of these tracks and today as you go to lunch just putting your tip in it and leave it there for them and then pray for them as you leave and say hey I left something for you to read could you take a moment during your break or maybe after work could you read it if you want to contact me it's on the back just taking it maybe leaving it giving it to a friend Maybe at the grocery store, hey, just when you have a chance. And then pray for that person. Hey, what's your name? Oh, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And then think and pray. Lord, use that track this week. So simple tools. It's not going to cost you anything. Take a few of them if you would. But if you take them, please use them. They're right there in the back, right in that back bookcase. Help yourself. We need to start sharing the gospel by using words. Yes, our, our good attitudes and our good deeds is good. But in the end, we have to share the facts of the gospel. Then thirdly, this is an easy one. Introduce them to the gospel community. Introduce them to the gospel community. One book says, people have rejected the gospel in part because they have never been exposed to a credible gospel community. Churches have often stood aloof from society. But you and I need to realize that the church is God's original plan to make known his will. In Ephesians, it says, it's through the church that God has, manifold, has made known his manifold wisdom to the world. Invite your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers to a worship service, VBS, or another event like the men's breakfast that we're going to be having here, or some of the other events we have. Share with them the power of the community of believers doing life together. Yes, we do it imperfectly here. But yet this is life together. 
So seek to build relationships. Earn the right to share the gospel and speak into their lives and introduce them to the gospel community. Let them see what God is doing among others. Why? Because God has called us to share the gospel. Let's break down those barriers that keep us from doing so. Recognize that one day you will stand before God and give an account as they will. Let it not be said that I did not fear God, that I feared man more than God. I feared ridicule. I fear social um, uh, ridicule. No, let's, let's be involved. Let's recognize that we need to treasure God more than anything else and it's a treasure we're sharing. And then let's love others. Let's do not get into the point where we do not consider others. Every person you come in contact is one soul that will stand before God. Let's remember that many times God may be bringing that moment for us to share the gospel. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as you close your eyes and One quote says that you cannot be committed to the gospel without being committed to proclaiming the gospel. So that's what I call you to this morning. Don't be a modern day Jonah. Would you consider the words of Christ to call people to repentance, no matter the cost, no matter how difficult it may be? Would you commit this morning to build relationships? share the gospel, and introduce people to the community of God. Father, we pray that you'd help us to respond. I know we could have spent more time in this message, but as we look at Jonah, let us not be as he. Let not our hardness of hearts, Lord, let not our anger or our despising of another group of people or person, keep us from sharing the gospel. You have given us your grace and your compassion. Father, you have died and sent your son, I'm sorry, you sent your son to die for your enemies. Let us be willing to forgive as you have. Strengthen us for this. Give us the courage. And Father, if there's anything that's preventing us, let us throw it down and ask for your strength. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.